Good morning to you. Man, I'm glad y'all are here. I love being here with you guys. And I mean, welcome to the online audience as well. We're so glad that you're still tuning in, and we hope to see your face one of these days soon. But what we're talking about uh, on that video takes effect next Sunday. So three services, 830, 10, and 1130. And we'll still be making a lot of the effort that we are to just, just keep you safe and healthy in the process. Um, you are our top priority on serving you guys. So, but I'm glad that y'all are here. Uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we continue our conversation. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, we've been having a three-week discussion about healing through the hard stuff. You've been through some hard stuff before? You going through any hard stuff right now? If you're not going through any hard stuff right now, you will. Okay, you definitely will. Um, this is how life works. It's complicated and it's messy at best. This is why we need the Lord in our lives, regular and active, be communing with him. Um, and so as you are in this First uh, uh, Peter chapter 1, we're, we're getting into part 3 of a three-part discussion. So in other words, if what we talk about today kind of sparks something in you or kind of pricks your heart a little bit and you want to catch up with where we were, you can find out about, uh, you can listen in on the previous sermons on YouTube, our YouTube channel, or our website, www.gbc.life. Um, Let's see how, how well you've paid attention, all right? You guys at home, too, y'all can answer from right there on your couch as well. Let's, let's see how well you paid attention. We are getting into principle five and six this week, um, but I want to see if you caught the first four, okay? Um, principle number one, if we're going to heal through the hard stuff, if we're going to make the hard strides of really healing, reconnecting, kind of being restored while we're going through the hard seasons of life, we have to start out with... The one thing that honestly we don't feel like doing, it doesn't seem natural to do this at, at the time when you're going through the hard stuff, but the first and most important thing, it's a common thread all throughout scripture, is you must rejoice. rejoice. Okay, great. That's great. Yeah, we need to rejoice. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and I hope that you'll go listen back to what it looks like to rejoice while you're going through the hard stuff. Second thing, not only do we need to rejoice, but we need to prepare our minds for Action, great. All four of you that listened to point number two, that's great. The rest of y'all need to go back online and watch it. Um, you probably remember me putting it like this. We need to gird the loins of our mind. Prepare your mind for action or gird the loins of your mind. That was week one. That was the first two parts. Last week, we, uh, Peter had on, uh, for, for principle number three, Peter spoke to the mind again, and he told us to be sober Minded, very good. Be sober-minded and, all right, best Sunday school answer, put your hope in the grace of who? Jesus. There you go. That was the first four. Now we're going to get into number five and six. This is part three of our three-part discussion. But let me give you the backdrop of what's happening and where we got this letter, just in case this is your first day here having this conversation with us. Um, Peter wrote this letter of encouragement to the first century Christians. Because they were in unparalleled times of persecution and hardship as a people. They were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that wasn't enough, many of them were losing their lives, by the way, being murdered, martyred. But on top of that, Nero, the emperor of Rome, started burning Rome to the ground. And as history would have it, stood on the roof of his palace playing his violin the whole time. 
Now, all the heat got turned on Nero. People were angry and blaming him for burning Rome to the ground, which he most likely was the one doing it. But he directed everybody's attention to the Christians. He said, no, not me. It's the Christians doing it. And since everybody hated the Christians so much, they did not mind, they did not mind ascribing their hate to the Christian people. So imagine being a Christ follower in the first century. How complicated, how awful, the hardship, the depth of the pain that you were experiencing. They had, their homes were being burnt to the ground. People that they loved were being killed. It was just a horrific time in history. And so Peter writes this letter to the first century Christians to encourage them on how to navigate through these seasons of really, really hard stuff of life and to do so in a way that your faith in God continues to grow, that your trust in him continues to flourish, and that all of this happens without you becoming bitter in the process. And so Peter's words to the first century Christians is a timely word to 21st century American Christians today, and that's why we're looking at these six principles that he talks about in chapter one. And since we've covered the first four, let's jump in on the fifth one. We're gonna start in verse 14 of chapter one, and it says this. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, say obedient. There you go. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also ought to be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. Uh, I would assume that this one probably goes without say uh, for most Christ's followers. Um, but principle number five, if you want to heal through the hard stuff, you got to be obedient. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you want to walk in the peace of God, you're going to have to walk in the ways of God. It's just simple kingdom economics. If you want to walk in the peace of God, you're going to have to walk in the ways of God. I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about living in obedience to God's word and his ways. It's critical for healing through the hard stuff. It's critical for staying whole once you have healed. Let's, I don't know if it's just me, but I would venture to say that for the majority of us in here, um, some of the hardships we faced in our life got thrown at us. They were not invited. We didn't want them. We didn't ask for them. We didn't do anything to get them. They just came. All right? That's life stuff. Uninvited hardship and hard times. But I would venture to say that for most of us in here, much of our hard times in life have been brought on by ourselves. Self-inflicted. Yeah, I did that one to me. Now, you probably don't want to admit that you did it to you. You probably don't want to trace the problem all the way back to the point where it lands on you because you still want to blame somebody else for it. But the reality of it is we're a self-sabotaging people. Much of the hard stuff that most of us face in our lifetime is self-inflicted, and it's because of our disobedience. It's because of sin. It's because of selfishness. We've ruined relationships because of selfishness. Some of you stare down the barrel at bankruptcy, not because you lost your job, but because you made bad financial decisions. Like, there, there is a million and one examples of how we have brought our hardship on ourselves and our life because of our disobedience, because of our lack of faithfulness to God's word and his ways. And this is why Peter says in chapter 1, verse 15, uh, 14, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your, here's a key word, your former ignorance. In other words, Jesus already saved you out of that stuff, oh Christian. He already rescued you from that stuff. He set you free from that stuff. Don't slip back into sipping the poison that made you sick in the first place. Stay away from that. Don't fall back into the former ignorance. But it beckons us constantly, doesn't it? 
temptation. And the funny thing about temptation and sin is it always promises to deliver differently this time. Dustin, if you'll just take this for one more ride around the track, I promise it'll go better this time. It'll work out well for you this time, I promise. But that's the thing about sin. That's the thing about our enemy, the devil. He always overpromises and underdelivers. And I can promise you, if you slip back into the former ignorance, the devastation will be worse than it was the first time. It always is. He says, instead, though, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also ought to be holy in your conduct. Whoa. All right, God, like I can get on board with the fact that I need to be obedient. And sometimes I slip out of that, and me slipping out of obedience is what causes some of the conflict and chaos in my life. But being holy, only you can be holy. I can't be obedient to the point of holiness. What do you mean, Peter, telling me to be holy as God is holy? Let me define holiness for you as according to the scripture. Peter's using a Greek word right here that uh, is, is said like this, hagion or hagios. Say hagios. All right, what hagios means, what holiness means, is two things. To either be set apart by God, to set apart by God, or set apart for God. That's what hagios means, to have been set apart by God or set apart for God. Hagios is the same root word where we get the word saint, to be a saint. Did you know that all throughout the scriptures you're referred to as a saint if you are a Christian, a Christ follower? Most of the New Testament epistles introduced begin by calling out to the saints, that hagaios. And so in other words, Peter right here, he's, he's not telling you, pay close attention, he's not telling you, hey, you need to become holy as he is holy. He's saying to be holy as he is holy. See the difference? In other words, here's the good news of the gospel. He's saying God has already set you apart. He has already made you holy. The call to be obedience is a call for you to walk in what you already are because of his work, not yours. To walk in that set-apartness by being obedient to the words and ways of God. Holiness. Set apart. We don't, we don't feel holy all the time. We don't look in the mirror and see holiness, do we? But this is part of the good news of the gospel, that he has declared us as holy. He has made us holy. He has set us apart for his glory and for his good. And our call to be obedient is to continue to walk in that holiness through our obedience. Just in case you're struggling with the fact of realizing that your holiness is a work that God has already done in your life if you are a Christian. If you, you want to be reminded just how set apart you are, let's just go back to the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and see exactly what he has done to set us apart. Look at this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, sets you apart into a new life, a new way of being born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, not feeling set apart by God. How about those apples? He went that far. He traveled that kind of distance to offer you that kind of inheritance. You've been set apart. You've been marked as holy. You've been set aside for the glory and the uses of God as his people, as children of God. That not enough for you? Fast forward to verse 18. Peter bookends his call for us to be holy. 
his call for us to walk in that holiness, he bookends it by how we were set apart as holy people. He calls us in, in, in 2 Peter a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, knowing that you were ransomed. I'm sorry, that's 1 Peter, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. It's right here in front of me, as a matter of fact. Knowing that you were ransomed, forgotten that you were set apart, forgotten that God made you holy. He says, know this, know that you were ransomed. You know what ransom means? Somebody told me one time, ransom means to be bought with a price. I would add to that and say ransom means to be bought back with a price. If you're going to ransom something, it means you had to have had it before. You know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. God had designed you in his image for his glory and his purposes. And once you were born into this world, it did not take long for the world and sin and the principalities of evil to suck you in, did it? And so Jesus, he got up off of his throne, put on skin, moved into the neighborhood, and bought us back with a price. Paid a ransom for us so that we could be his again. He says that we are ransomed from the futile ways that were inherited from our forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. He didn't pay the price with silver and gold, but he paid it with the precious blood of Jesus. And his blood was like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He, Jesus, was foreknown from the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. In other words, Jesus has been, always been around, but he didn't put on skin and move into the neighborhood until he came after us to rescue us, to redeem us, to ransom us. For the sake of you, he says, who through him now are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see the picture? You see just how set apart you have been? You see just the great distance that God has traveled to set you apart, to make you holy? It's not a work that you did. All you did was believe and trust in him, and he made you holy. And Peter's call to be holy as he is holy is for you to walk in that. Walk in that by obedience. Being obedient to the word of God. Not slipping into the futile ways of the way you used to do things. Not slipping into your former ignorance, not falling into those temptations anymore because you are a set-apart people made holy by God himself. And you know, as a Christ follower, this changes the way we look at obedience because as a people who have been made holy by God, we're not motivated to be obedient so that we can be right with God. But it's because we've been made right with God that we are motivated to be obedient. You see, it's the gospel, that's the good news. That we love him because he loved us first. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's the one that did the work. He's the one that came running after us. He's the one that set us apart for his glory and for our good. And since this is our new identity, since you have been deemed saints and holy, he said, be holy. As a holy saint of God, obedience is what is going to get you healthy and what is going to keep you healthy. That's step number five in the process of healing through the hard stuff. Number six, last but not least, the pinnacle of all the principles, the overarching theme to the whole thing, one that you cannot go without. Number six, he says, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, here it is, here it is, underline it, outline it, put stars next to it, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another. 
You know, why is, why, why is that the pinnacle principle of healing through the hard stuff? Because without love, you can't heal. And without love, healing won't propagate around you and the people in your life. I, I would venture to say that most of the hard stuff we experience in this life and this world is due to a lack of love, isn't it? Most of it. He tells us to love one another deeply. Just imagine if we switch the adjective around to what we naturally gravitate towards when we're going through hard things. Just imagine if we took the adjective of, uh, adjective of love out and we put in something that we naturally gravitate towards when we're going through hard stuff, like bitterness. Harvest bitterness deeply in your heart towards one another. Hate one another deeply from the heart. Harvest prejudice deeply in your heart towards one another. Maybe we don't even go that deep as those. Maybe we just say, tolerate one another deeply from the heart. You can't heal like that. In the world around you can't heal like that. He says to love one another deeply from the heart. Because you know what love does? The Bible describes all over the place the power of love and what love does. Here's just some examples for you of what love does in our life. It binds us together in perfect unity, Colossians 3.14. It covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4.8. It casts out all fear, 1 John 4.18. It causes us to lay down our lives for one another, 1 John 3.16. Oh, yeah, and by the way, love is also patient and kind and keeps no record of wrongs, and it doesn't envy, and it doesn't boast, and it isn't self-seeking. Love. You see the power of love? See why it's the pinnacle principle of healing through the hard stuff? Yeah, but Dustin, man, you don't know what they did to me. If you'd have heard what they said to me, man, you know why I harvest so much bitterness in my heart, how I can't make that step. I've, I figured, okay, I've rejoiced in the Lord, and I've, I've girded up the loins of my mind, and I've been sober-minded, and I've been putting my hope in Jesus, and I'm working on obeying the words and the ways of God, but, like, the love thing is hard because I just don't have any left in me after what happened. I'm in this hard situation because of what's happening, I just can't conjure up enough love for this to work, man. And we dig our heels in the sand right there. That's why we never really experience healing. That's why we never really get to see healing happen in the lives of other people going through the hard stuff. Because we dig our heels in the sand when we get to this place of love. Listen, I bet you if you're anything like me, I would, I would venture to say that you fall short in the category of love a lot with your own spouse, with your own kids, with your coworkers, with whatever, like, you fall short. Well, listen, God's word, he, he never calls us to a thing that he doesn't plan to be the sufficient supply for the thing. You hear what I'm saying? He never tells you to do something that he doesn't plan on doing through you if you just let him. That's what I mean by that. Love. Your love is imperfect on its best day, but God doesn't just love. He is love, and he dwells within you as a Christ follower. He dwells richly within you. He is the extra mile of everything that you would need. He is the su sufficient supply of that extra mile of love. 
that you need to display in your life to be able to forgive, to be able to dispel bitterness, to be able to move past a thing and to see a person through the lenses and the eyes of love instead of resentment, to see a situation instead of seeing it with bitterness, that you would be able to see it with the love of Christ. Like that's a work that he can do through you. That's a work that he plans to do through you. What more? What greater thing do you think God would possibly want to do with his people than to display his love through them? His love through you. He doesn't want a people who are just known for loving really well. He has raised himself up a holy nation, a royal priesthood that he plans to show the unmatched love of God through that is untouchable and unstoppable and unparalleled. That's what he wants to show through you. The enemy doesn't want to see that happen. That's why he makes love so hard. And that's why he tries to convince us of all the reasons why we shouldn't. Because of what was said and what was done and what happened. But listen, Grace Bible, you want to heal through the hard stuff? Pinnacle principle number six. Love one another deeply from the heart. Let me leave you with the words of the Apostle Peter, actually in chapter five. Don't turn there. Let me, I just want to read these over you as a prayer. For those of you who are going through the hard stuff and you are working on healing through that, let me, let me read Peter's words of encouragement as a prayer to the Lord over you. So receive the word of God here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself Restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. To him be the dominion. To him be the glory. To him be the power forever and ever. 